Welcome to the Green Phoenix's Mylar, my look at recovery. This is a podcast that will be focusing on mental health, understanding recovery, and restoring a voice to those who it has been taken from. Good afternoon and welcome back to my look at recovery, joined with Pastor Larry Grayway. Pretty sure that's his name. Today we're going to be talking about something that is pretty near and dear to my heart, and that is understanding word choice more specifically as it relates to the concept of toxic positivity. Before we get too far into this, what do you think that toxic positivity is like? How would you define it, Larry? Um, I think I would define it as people saying things without much meaning behind them. Uh, kind of, I'm trying to think the best way to put it. Uh, hey, you know, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. But there's no real, but I think it comes out of, you know, a couple different places. But I think it's just those those words that we say that don't seem to have much meaning or they think are just going to make us feel better at the time because maybe they don't know what to say. So that's kind of kind of where, what do you think? How would you define it? I'd say that you're pretty close, but I would take it a step further because it is not just about it not knowing what to say. It's this, our society seems to be so focused on positivity and keeping a positive attitude and always being happy that they want to, anytime there's something difficult that comes up, they want to gloss over it. And and some of these that I've heard, like, it just, it comes out, no matter what they're saying, it, it comes out and it filters through, not just for myself, but a lot of people as, well, just get over it. You know, why are you always so negative? Why can't you just be happy? Why can't you just be positive? Yeah, your life sucks, but stop dwelling on it and just look at all the good stuff that you have instead, instead of taking the time to sit down with somebody and go, you know what? Yeah, this is hard. This is not a fun experience. And sitting in that discomfort with them instead of trying to push through it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, you know, well, let me ask you this. Why, what do you think is the motivation? How did, how does somebody get to a place? Because people use phrases. We want people to be encouraged. There's nothing wrong with wanting to encourage somebody. Why, why do you think that um, people don't take the time to, to hear or to find out what's really going on or to speak? differently to somebody. Why why do you think they just use these phrases and things? My personal belief is that while most of the time they're very well intentioned Mm -hmm. and they really do believe that they're being encouraging, that they really do believe that that's helping, but they don't want to feel that discomfort. They don't want to to acknowledge the conflict. They just want everything to be hunky-dory. 
sunshine and rainbows and puppies and they don't want to see that that's not how life works. And a prime example of this is the Pixar movie Inside Out. Okay. And the characters, the two main characters in that are joy and sadness. And a lot of people argue with me when I say this, but I really feel like joy is the ultimate bully. Okay. Especially towards sadness. And joy gets every other emotion to kind of gang up and try to force sadness over into their own little corner. Okay. At one point, they even draw a little circle and tell sadness, you have to stand here. You can't do anything. Because she doesn't want Riley, their person, to ever feel sadness. Mm -hmm. And one of the nice things about the movie is you watch the arc, and if you haven't seen it, just tune out for a minute because there's a big spoiler about to come. Okay. The core memories, and sadness touches one of the core memories, and it was a joy memory, and all of a sudden it turns sad. And they go and they find this core memory and it starts off sad, but then it shifts over into a joy moment. Because sometimes some of your most joyful moments come from dealing with and working through that sadness. Mm -hmm. Getting the support and real encouragement from the people around you. And if I remember correctly, because it's been a few years... That sad memory started because she had missed a key goal in her hockey game and she was feeling really down about it, but then her friends and her family come over and they cheer her up and they remind her of all the good things that she had done. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason that spoke to me is it reminded me of my own experience. My senior year of high school, I was in the goal towards the end of the season. And it was during one of the playoff games that would let us go to state. Mm -hmm. We were playing against a private school that was, yeah. We didn't think we had a chance, but we went out there believing that we could. And for us seniors who had been on the team that helped start the team our sophomore year, we were like, this is our last chance. And I was really bummed when I got off the bus because I had let four goals go in. And my coach pulled me off the bus after the game. She's like, why are you so upset? And I'm like, because I lost the game for us. And she looked at me and she said, do you realize that you saved 18? The score could have been 22 to 1. You saved 18 goals. Mm -hmm. And so even though I was still bummed out and I was still sad about it, it helped change the perspective and helped me realize that I did contribute and it wasn't solely because of me that we lost, that there were a lot of other key factors that led to it. But if I hadn't been there, the loss would have been significantly higher. Okay. And those are, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to put it. That's a great illustration. I think one of the things that I want us to, to keep in mind when you have somebody that's trying to comfort or finds themselves in the situation, I think there's some things that that we have to remember. I think some some people that that use those phrases or whatever, well, there's a couple reasons. One, they're just not that engaged. I don't know that it's 
this necessary necessarily I, I won't go as far as you as saying well they just don't want to get their hands dirty or want to think in terms of reality i think that's part of it for some people but i don't think it's that simple because there are people there are times and i think anytime you deal with people there's so many different variables and circumstances there are times when somebody encounters somebody that's going through something really difficult and there's that uncomfortable moment where they don't know what to say. And so instead of sitting and just being quiet, they feel like they have to say something. So they pull out something that they've heard somewhere else or something that seems encouraging, even though they really half-heartedly say it because they really just don't know what to say. And it can come across at, at that. Some people build it as a default into their vocabulary not, I don't, the reason I say this, because I don't think everybody has this mindset of, hey, I just don't want to get involved. I think some people just don't consciously understand or have the bandwidth to understand. Uh, take somebody that, that has a default saying, um, where you say something to them and they'll, you know, they'll just tell you, well, you know, hey, you're going to have a great day. You're going to, you know. It's kind of like, you know, have a good day. This is a phrase that you say without much thought or meaning. I think there's elements of that in this that we have to be a little bit more balanced in the way that we think of how our words impact and affect people. Um, the, the difficult part is finding the balance. Because while we need to acknowledge and validate the place that the person is at, at that moment. We also need to be a part of that story of helping them come out of that place. Sometimes that's just sitting for a little while. Sometimes that, and here's the big thing, it's not fixing. Fixing is generally where we make the biggest mistake because we try to fix. But if we, we sit and we listen and we validate, and yeah, that stinks, man, that's hard. Um, but hey, maybe we can, I can help you through this or what are some things we can do? You know, whatever that may be to kind of start to move that ball the other direction, not go the opposite end. We're really good at going to the other end of the pendulum and just sit there and wallow in the discomfort either and let it become identity. Some people live in a place of identity of negative thoughts and feelings. So there has to be a place of balance. Um, it's just like anything else. We live in a world that gets offended at the drop of a hat. And some people are super sensitive to phrases like that. But sometimes those phrases have purpose and meaning. But we'll discount them because they're used wrong so many other times. And so I think our challenge is in communicating is finding that balance, acknowledging that, yeah, there is a reason for this situation, whether it's sadness, hurt, pain, you know, whatever it may be, but not staying there. And there may be a period of time where you sit together, but not staying there, not letting that, that moment become identity. Some of the examples that I can come up with, they're, they're so ingrained and they're such simple platitudes that are, have existed for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. 
that they become part of your identity that are so harmful. For example, no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, buttercup. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, be happy. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, they, they may seem, or another one that's personal favorite, pain is weakness leaving the body. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you really stop and you, you look at these, we are discounting things. For example, pain is an indicator that you need to stop. And you have to learn how to recognize the difference between just being a little sore and pain. Pain is your body telling you, you know what, you need to stop. Mm-hmm. And if you keep pushing, you're going to end up injured. And if you keep pushing after that, you're going to end up in a world of hurt. And you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. And yet for so long, that was the mantra. Just keep pushing. Just keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep doing it. Which is part of the reason why my joints are so messed up now. Because that's what I used to do. I would use that pain. That pain almost became a, a way to cope. Because I could deal with the physical pain. And I, it gave me a way to bury the mental and emotional pain. So it's, it's important to recognize that while on the surface some of these may seem okay, like don't worry, be happy. I mean, there's even a song that people love to sing, and it's, a, it's an upbeat song, but... Yeah, it's not that simple. And then what happens is when you're constantly hearing these things, they become your internal dialogue. And you start to go, oh, well, why can't I just be happy? Why can't I push myself? Why can't I do this? Everybody else around me is doing this. So why am I not able to? Yeah, I was having um, a conversation with... uh, somebody this morning, and we were talking about what a fallacy the word okay is, as far as it relates to people. Um, Because I've heard it, and I'm not going to say some people in this room have used it, I just want to be okay. Well, the problem with that is, is... People can't define what okay is because it's, it's an ever moving target and it's different for somebody. We think, oh, we see this person that has all of these things all together. And just like your narrative of what you're talking about, don't worry, be happy. Well, happiness is a fleeting emotion that can't be attained all the time. Just like being okay. Being okay, you can say, yeah, I'm doing okay today. That doesn't mean everything is good in my life. That means that I'm okay with where I'm at right now. And even though everything's not perfect, you know, I know I'm moving forward. I know that that I can move past this. But we've built in our culture this idea of this image of perfection that's never attainable. 
We see it in the supermodel industry. We see it in interpersonal relationships. We people people lose relationships over an ideal that's not obtainable rather than living where they're at and moving forward from there and having a, a, a genuine understanding of where their limitations are, who they are, because everybody has limitations. Some limitations are just more visible than others, but everybody has limitations. Everybody has struggles. They have doubts. They have fears. They, but they have different gifts, abilities, and strengths to be able to manage those certain ways. But when we say, hey, you know, everything's going to be okay, well, that's, that's not definable. When we say that, you know, when we move in those directions, instead of just sitting with somebody and walking with them through those things and helping them through, we've created this, this false sense of a, an area that, that's not obtainable because we can't define it. We can't define what okay is. We can't define what fixed is. We can't define any of those things because they're ever moving. Because we're human. We're people. Life changes daily. We live in a world of change. And so when we create these ideas of being okay or being happy or these narratives that sound good on the surface, they're not obtainable, and what it does is it creates this sense of failure, of shame, of doubt, self-doubt, um, and these perceptions that lead us to a place, well, I'm never going to be good enough for, for this, because I'm never going to be this, whatever this is. The problem is we can't define what this is. So that's just kind of my two cents. It's, it's something where we have to really learn how to get a more balanced approach to life to understand that, that look, and I do it from a faith perspective, I have to come to a place where I know, hey, God's got me covered. I may not feel like it right now, and there's a lot of days, and I laugh because there are days I don't even feel like going to church. Um, I don't feel like getting up and speaking a message. I don't feel like having to be the person to listen to somebody else's problems that day. But yet, that's what I do. Am I messed up because of that? Maybe a little bit broken. But at the same time, I'm trusting that God's going to give me the strength to move forward what I need for that day. Not necessarily tomorrow, but for that moment, for that day. And it's coming to a place of balance that I know that not in any given one moment am I going to have everything together? Or is everything going to be awesome? Or is it always going to be horrible? We live in those ever-changing spaces and getting a balanced approach to that and having people around us that know how to walk through us with that is, is, is important. And I, I'm going to tell you, as somebody that has watched family members go through illness, through other people go through difficult things, the hardest thing to ever do is to sit and do nothing. Because what they need is you to be there and support them. And that's the hardest thing I ever do. This is probably going to sound like it's out of left field, but I swear my mind is connected. Okay. Sometimes, and I just now realize that this is what I... What if... 
using toxic positivity and these platitudes that we're trying to encourage people is just another form of masking. Of putting on this mask, of trying to project this persona that we're always happy, that we're always what society expects us to be. We're just trying to put forth this persona of who we want people to think we really are. And we're hiding behind this mask of false positivity because on the inside, we are really struggling with our own insecurities, our own fears, our own doubts. And so when we're telling other people not to worry, to be just be happy, no pain, no gain, suck it up, whatever, we're saying it to them because we don't want to say it to ourselves. Um, I think there's an element of that. I don't disagree. Um, again, I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's across the board either. I'm just thinking about some very specific examples in my life of certain people that they have this need to always be seen as this positive, bubbly person. Yeah. That no matter what's going on, they're completely unflappable. And it's just... It's not real. So, yeah, I mean, there is that sense. And there's this, and this is where I, I really struggle with this topic in, in coming to a conference, because I don't think you've come to a conference. People are such variables where I can, I can think of instances where somebody does need to hear hey, you just need to suck it up and let's move forward. Now, that's where I said these empty platitudes are one thing, and that's where being involved in somebody's life, having a relationship, knowing where they're at, and being able to speak to them where they're at in that moment is important. Because there are times where, yeah, I need to stop living over here in this little pit. I've been here for a long time. It's becoming my identity. It's time to move forward. Now, whether you say suck it up or whatever, that, but that idea of, hey, the best thing I can do right now is help you get out of here and move here. And that was kind of the reason why I wanted to talk about this and really look at this because it's not about letting people stay stuck and wallowing. Yeah. But we need to find a better way than telling somebody just to suck it up. We need to acknowledge, hey, you know what? I, I see that you're really struggling with this right now. But we need to work on finding ways to get you out of that. You're basically saying the same thing, but you're saying it in a more positive way. Yeah. In a way that's going to be better received then hey you know what suck it up stop being so lazy stop being whatever adjective you want to use that has such a negative connotation and like I told you earlier it kind of goes back to that suffering versus struggling and the reason why I hate it when people tell me or they say so-and-so is suffering from a mental illness because unless you are that person, you don't know what's going through their head. 
You don't know if they're working on it or not, and suffering means that they are a willing participant. Struggling means that they're dealing with it, they're, they're working on it. And so when you say that so-and-so is suffering, what you're saying is so-and-so is a victim. And I'm not a victim. I struggle some days more than others, and there have been times when I've allowed myself to get in that suffering stage. And part of the reason why I buck against it so much is that when I allow myself to get to that place of suffering, that's when the suicidal thoughts start to take over. Okay. There's a lot here. Um, that we could talk about. And the, the bottom line is, the words that we use need to be chosen carefully. When we use them, needs to be chosen carefully. Um, and this is where I think you and I will, will butt heads a little bit in some of this, because as much as I acknowledge struggle and suffering and the purpose behind it and why that's important, I don't think we should throw out the word suffering. And because there is genuine suffering that people go through, you can't interchange the two in every situation. Not in every situation, but when you're speaking in generalities or when you're talking about someone else's experience, you can't, de you can't define their experience for them. No. You can't, but you can identify some things. And this is, and this is where um, I think it is difficult to speak about those things. And, I, and that's why I want to go back to that the more we're in relationship, the more I know somebody the more they know me, the more I'm able to define those things because I know their story. We've talked about it all year. It goes back to being in a relationship or community, having that support system. That's why I'm so careful. In our culture, I find it somewhat frustrating that we've thrown out real terms and things and they've lost their power because they have been misused because they have been used in ways that become platitudes or whatever but it's frustrating because we've created a culture that is so confused because you never know if this term is going to trigger somebody or if this term is going to make somebody feel this way and we have handcuffed ourselves in such a way that it's difficult to communicate outside of relationship. Because some terms and some phrases are not necessarily negatives in the right context. And these words that are being stolen out of our vocabulary because of misuse and things have left us confused. People are confused. There's reasons why some of these things became what they were,
because at that moment in that point of time they were something that needed to be said and something that needed to be done to help somebody through a situation or where they were at. The problem is, is that we wear them out and use them and become, we're really good at t-shirt sayings. That's, that's, I think that's the way to put it. And I don't have a great solution for this. There's a reason I don't like Christian t-shirts as a pastor. I think they, as much as they're meant to be encouragement, they often hit flat because they define something sometimes that isn't necessarily what we're living. And then they become, they lose their power. And words have power. Yes, they do. When used in the right context. It goes back to the old nursery rhyme that for so long was used as a way to excuse bullying. And I'm sorry, you will not change my mind on this. But the whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words will cause more pain and lasting pain than any stick or stone ever will. Because when you break a bone, it grows and it heals. As long as it heals properly, it will heal stronger than it did before the break. And it's very difficult to break the same bone in the same place again. Words, on the other hand, even words that seem entirely innocuous to some people, have a way of cutting deep and they will sting even 20, 30 years later. I graduated from high school 26 years ago. When I was in eighth grade, I had people that were calling me horse, and to this day, that term still bugs me because it still stings. When people call me a freak or psycho, again, these are terms that I heard throughout my childhood that became a part of my identity for so long, and they're not anymore, at least not usually. But those hurt so much worse. I've had surgery on both ankles. And while I know that it hurt afterwards, I don't remember the pain. In fact, the second surgery was more difficult because I forgot how much the first one hurt. But you you have these, these terms and these words that people use, and that's part of the reason why the toxic positivity is so dangerous and so damaging. And what makes it harder is that when people use it and you try to, you know, call them out on it, however gently or harshly, they get very defensive about it. And they dig their heels in and they don't realize that while they may not have meant it a certain way, you need to listen to the other person, the person that you're using this with, and acknowledge, okay, you know what, that wasn't okay. And there are, are other terms that are out there that are really bothering people. For example, the word retarded used to be a medical term that is no longer used because of the damage that it caused that population. They don't even use it in the medical community anymore because they recognize the damage that it caused that population. And that's just what I want people to realize is to really stop and think about what you're saying and listen to the other person and don't just automatically assume that their filter is the same as your filter. We need to come to the middle and stop this division of us versus them that's so prevalent everywhere you look. 
and really start to listen and talk and have the difficult conversations with an open mind. And I realize that's not always easy. And recognize, you know, someone may get angry in the moment, and it's okay for them to get angry in the moment. Let them calm down and then come back to you when they've calmed down to have that conversation. Don't just automatically assume, oh, well, somebody's shutting down. They're getting angry. They're not listening to me. And then you dig in your hills and you just keep going at them. And that's just from my personal experience. So what do you think? Um, I'm trying to process it because you really went into something very personal without really much of a question other than what you think. So here's the bottom line. And I think this is where this conversation will always be difficult. Yes, we need to acknowledge where people are at and how we interact with them. The only way we can truly do that is through relationship. So be careful in using platitudes with people that you're that are outside of your relationship, people that you don't have that level of relationship with. But on, on the other side of this coin, um, for those that are sensitive to certain words or certain phrases, one of the things that I think is key, and I think this is going to be difficult, because, look, we're not going to change. Even if we change certain phrases and terminology, we live in a broken world, there will be other things. And you can champion your cause, but the next thing will be there. And we're always championing somebody's cause. And I, I don't. I, and again, I want to balance the approach. So I'm not saying throw certain things out that things don't need to change. That we, but at, at at some point, we have to look at who is speaking those words to us. What level of relationship they have to me, and go from there. And at some point, as much as certain things hurt, we have to begin to sort through that and go, you know what, this person doesn't know anything about me or my story. So I, I, I acknowledge that, hey, they may say this, but it's not something that I need to take on a personal level. On the same way that if I, like you and I, have a personal relationship we've had for several years now, and I came in and said something to you, it, it will hurt and cut much deeper and has a much bigger impact. And, and I'm, I'm not saying this to discount people thinking about, they do need to think about what they say. They do need to understand how that happens. But for some people, they're not even going to know that's on the radar. Because we couldn't, we don't have enough time to sit here and go through everybody's trigger words, everybody's trigger things. This is my problem with society. We, 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 we get become sensitive for our key topics. And then there's 80% of society that has no connection to that one thing or whatever that may be. And I'm just throwing percentages out, nothing, nothing personal in those things. So as a person... 
as an individual, we've got to be careful on who we let have power in our lives with those words and begin to develop tools in our lives that help us to deal with those words so that they don't have that same effect on us when they come from somebody that has no idea of who they are. And I'm not talking about just mean words. I'm just talking about words in general that might be said in a conversation or a context that has nothing to do with you, but you hear that one word and it's kind of like a cat with the hair on their back going up and they're ready to fight. And it could have absolutely nothing to do with that moment. So I think there's work that has to be done on both sides of that fence. Again, that balance of being able to understand, yes, we absolutely have to be conscious of what we say and how we say it. And think about who's in the room and how we speak. But at the other side of that, we can't be so sensitive over time. We have to learn how to understand who we are and recognize who we are and work towards not letting those things have so much power over our lives. And that's harder, that's, that's much harder to do. But I think there, there has to be some movement on both ends for us to have a balanced world. Otherwise we get out of shape one way or the other and nobody wins in that situation. So I think for me at least the key takeaway from all of this is that we need to recognize and acknowledge who we are talking to and the audience that we're talking to. And when we're in a larger platform, for example, when I'm on stage and I'm speaking, I have to be more cognizant and aware of the possibility that I may offend somebody and do the best that I can to not offend people, but at the same time, be true and authentic to myself. And if, if someone comes up to me and tells me that what I said was offensive to them, have a conversation with them, not get up my feelings exactly. hurt. Yeah. Because That's I true. can't tell somebody else that what I said was not offensive to them. Yeah. And I, I think that's the key takeaway here. And part of this is because I've had that the opposite experience where I heard someone say something and I told them that, you know what, that's not okay. That's not okay to say, for example, it's not okay to refer to the weather as being bipolar and then being told that I was just too sensitive. Yeah. And it's not. It's not okay to th say things like that. If you want to do it in your little small circle with just your friends where there's not other people around and you know for a fact that nobody in your small little group of friends is dealing with any type of mental illness, it's still not okay, but at least you're not going to be causing harm to other people. Just like when people use retarded, it's not okay to use that. And I want to encourage you to stop using that and find a better way to phrase it because it's not okay. And whether you recognize it or not, it is damaging people. It's like cussing. I used to cuss like a sailor. 
but I had made a cognizant effort to stop doing it. And it bothers me now when other people do it, but I'm not trying to stop them from doing it because I get it that that's part of our culture. But because of the key people that I, I hang around with, I know that it bothers them, so I've stopped doing it. And unless you are, you know, like under a certain age and you're cussing around me, I'm not going to say anything to you. I think you said something, and I want to hit this before we leave, and I know our time is almost up. I think a good rule of thumb, because again, I'm going to say not all phrases that affect people need to be thrown out. But as a good rule of thumb, if something is a medical diagnosis, we should not attribute that to everyday life. Which is what you're talking about with the weather being bipolar. Um, you know, we people will say, well, I'm ADHD. They'll, they'll throw things at things. And yes, there are, there are characteristics that they're trying to pull out of it. But that can be really difficult for somebody that struggles with those things. So when you have medical diagnosis, when you have those kinds of things to attribute them to our everyday lives that are not a part of that and to take that on is demeaning or difficult for somebody. Um, and that's really, that's, a part that I'm not really talking about when I say, hey, there are things that we need to let just kind of roll off our back. And I wanted to make sure you understood that too, because those there is that side of things when there are things that people are struggling with emotionally, physically, all of that, that that description doesn't work. So you have to that's one of the best places to start. We can't, we're not ever gonna get rid of all of our phrases and all our idioms and all of those things. There are certain things, but when you're looking at these things, one, is it, is it actually true what I'm saying? And do I mean what I'm saying? And how does it affect the person that's there, especially when it comes to those type of diagnosis, those type of things? when we put it out there to other people. Using medical diagnosis in medical terms as slang is really no different than using racial slurs. The only difference is that they are socially acceptable to use the medical terms as slang, whereas it is no longer acceptable to use racial slurs. And for the record, I know you well enough to know that that's not what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to clarify it for anybody that's listening sure. because I really want to help people understand and recognize that when we use certain terms like that, it's just reinforcing a stigma. Sure. And then there are other terms that are being stigmatized, which really shouldn't be. For example, disability. Disability is not a bad word. Handicap is not a bad word. And we need to normalize these and make these a part of our regular conversation without attributing them to being some evil, bad, something to be feared. Yeah, and, and that's where this whole conversation becomes difficult. And, I'm, and I know I approached it from a different side for you, kind of on purpose, 
because I believe that we're really good in America at swinging pendulums. And that is precisely why it's helpful to have someone to bounce things off of with this instead of just my voice, getting that other voice. And to that end, to anybody that is out in podcast land that happens to be listening to this, we would love to hear your feedback and get your thoughts and ideas about this. And if you would like to join us, please feel free to reach out. The information on how to do so is in the podcast episode description. The contact info is there. So until next time, have a great day.